For those of you out there that do podcasts or record anything, has it ever happened where you've recorded one, right? And I just did. I had recorded a podcast and I made it about the 4th of July. And somewhere, probably halfway through recording it, it completely fell apart for me. Like, I just, I was like, there's nothing, it's not coming together. How is this, how is this related to art? Is this just more my own personal take on things? And then I went back and I listened to about 15 minutes of it and I didn't like it. <laughs> I, just, I didn't like it at all. And I thought for a second, there, I'm like, ah, oh, man, I, w- I really wanted to get an episode locked out tonight and just make something that, you know, I, I felt like, okay, hey, I, I, I've got my podcast, you know, worked out and I'm going to go ahead and upload it and, and work from there, right? Now, no such luck. So then I ended up thinking while I was stressing out about that and I realized, okay, well, wait a minute, there is something I can talk about tonight. So if you're looking at the thumbnail of this particular episode, you'll notice that there's an illustration uh, that's done of a character from the Masters of the Universe series called Orko, a little magical character. And um, so that's done on a type of, in fact, like, you know what, first, before I even get any further here, hello, I am Mario the Artisan Rogue, and this is Radio 74. It is a podcast about my time as an artist, what I go through, and what I experience. And I am experiencing a moment of this last podcast uh, subject matter was not great. <laughs> um, let, me, let me just continue that for just a second. I, I really did go into thinking about like, you know, what, um, you know, I tried to tie in what what the, the patriotism behind the 4th of July is like and everything. And um, there, there's a there's a whole lot to unpack there and without getting. Because the big the big hot button issue today is a lot of people don't like talking political things or whatever. But this is more from a cultural standpoint. Um, being Native American, I don't I don't really have a huge tie to what the Fourth of July is. I, I never have, and I'm saying that coming from a military family that my father very much took us when we were on base to go see fireworks and things like that. But there was always this thing of like, yeah, this is what we are. We are Americans and that sort of thing. Yes, I, I get that. But there was also a whole other thing about what the flag stood for and all these other things. But I decided, you know what, I'm not I'm not even going to get into that because that can cause a whole bunch of issues and a whole bunch of other things. And maybe that's a discussion for a later time with other people, that sort of thing. There's still an idea in my head that at some point in time I'll invite people on and do like sort of a, you know, a tabletop sort of uh, discussion, a roundtable discussion, not tabletop. I'm thinking gaming here. Sorry about that. So, but I am going to talk about this particular piece of artwork. So switching gears, huge. Um, this this is one of those bits of artwork that I had had a uh, I had had a small tablet of Yupo paper. Okay, now Yupo paper is a polypropylene based paper. It's not really paper. It's like a sheet of plastic. Um, and I had gotten a small bit of it from a friend of mine years ago, and I think I used it. For an illustration, I think I was drawing on it with pencil and I liked it okay. But this time I decided, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to just pencil out on it using a mechanical pencil. And uh, then I'm going to go ahead and ink over it with my Copic pens. And then I'm going to attempt to use some watercolor and some inks and some uh, uh, Copic markers on it. 
And I know there's always that thing that when you're first creating any piece of artwork, especially if you're knee deep in and you're like, I'm, I'm going to try something new. There is always that horrible, horrible moment when you're like, maybe like, okay, for, so th- let me break it down this way. I got a drawing and I'm like, okay, yeah, the drawing's looking pretty good. I, I had no real idea how anything was going to work on this substrate because I'd never, I had never gone, you know, full multimedia on this stuff before. I'm used to working on either cold or hot press Bristol board or comic page sheets or something like that, where the substrate, the actual paper will of course absorb any pigments you're putting on there. And so permanent inks, permanent, uh, you know, anything that you put on there stays on there and you can layer it and you can do all kinds of things to it. Um, you can go back over with colored pencil stuff like that. I immediately noticed that, uh, even when I was drawing with my ink pens, this, you know, Copic multi-liners are supposed to be permanent and they are. And on the polypropylene, it seemed like they were acting pretty permanent, you know, and the, uh, but the, I noticed a few things whenever they went over areas where the graphite was, it seemed to almost lift or push the graphite out of the way. And that's when it started hitting me. I'm like, okay, so I'm definitely working on a surface factor. There's a tension there that is going to separate the, the, the mediums specifically from the underlying substrate. And so I had to kind of take into consideration, well, what is this going to look like? But I really had no idea. I mean, since I'd never worked on this stuff before, I had no real, it was, it felt in a way like kind of like working on glass or almost like, it just dawned on me tonight for this. Just I had this realization realization right now. It actually felt like for anyone that's ever drawn on like a Wacom tablet or a Cintiq or anything else like that, or even if you're drawing with you like your iPad and you're working in uh oh what is the what is, what is the software all the kids are using today? Oh man, uh, I don't know the one that's popular on an iPad. And um, you know, so you get this whole kind of glossy feel to it, and it felt that way with the pen and with the pencil. Well, as soon as I got my drawing down, I was like, okay, this is pretty good. This seems to be working. And uh, I chronicled it on a little bit on my Instagram account. You can follow me on the artisan rogue there. And, um, it was fine. <laughs> so it's been a few days, but what I discovered during the process, uh, of, of creating it was that as soon as I started to lay down some things, the first thing I did was I uh, took some, some inks I had that were metallic and all this other stuff and just mixed a couple things together. Right up, right. So these were like highly concentrated. I was dipping right into the, right into the, into the bottles and then just laying it out there. The first thing I noticed was polypropylene would react really funny with the water. It does seem to have something of a woven fibrous texture to it. Or I may be imagining things. And whenever I would, um, whenever I would, put water on it it seemed like it was sinking into the polypropylene but of course not imbibing it with a true moisturized texture it, it didn't seem to like sponge it up as much as let it seep in now because of that <clears throat> i had to figure out like okay well how how much can i layer on here so of course it's all experimentation at this point go ahead and layer in the ink right you know and or the and, and I'm going around, I'm moving my brush around, and I'm trying to figure out, okay, how much viscosity is there going to be? How much adherence is there going to be? A lot of things going through my mind at this time. The entire time I'm thinking, oh, my God, how bad is this going to be? So as I'm working through it, it's uh, it's just pushing around. It's not doing much else. It's kind of pooling in areas and stuff, but it, it left a pretty cool effect. And But the first thing I noticed was I was like, oh, God, just brushing over with just the, just the – um, 
the small viscosity that was happening from the brush bristles. And they were, this, these were softer, you know, um, softer nylon brushes. They, um, they, they were lifting and moving the uh, permanent ink from the Copic multiliner. So that was a little bit odd. And I thought, okay, well, I know for sure now that whenever I come at this with anything else, it's going to move some stuff around, if not completely obliterate line work. And that was true. I used uh, a couple of different ones. I used, oh man, I used the Copic markers primarily. I have a couple, a couple of other off-brand alcohol-based markers that I also used, just trying out different nibs, trying out different uh, pigments to get the colors I wanted on there. And I kind of messed up early on. I picked a really uh, iridescent blue ink for the background, forgetting that Orco's skin is blue. So then I was like, okay, so then the line work is going to have to be even deeper and darker around it. And there was just a lot of things that I wasn't sure how deep I could go with the uh, depth of color and and how saturated, you know, like what was going to be the, the, the main saturation point for a lot of this stuff. It seemed like because all of the mediums were going to be sitting on top of the substrate, that opacity was definitely going to be a, a challenge, if not a problem as well as how much medium could I really work on top of it? Because it's not like acrylic or oils that you can, for the most part, endlessly keep building up on top of one another to an almost impostor-like effect. In this circumstance, and it was really odd, um, I am loving this because now that it's been dry for a little while, I've, I've, I've rubbed on it, I've like taken another piece of paper and kind of done that. Uh, whole, you know, like sliding it across, seeing is it sticky, all this other, because the night that I finished it, I, I, you know, because I kept on laying stuff in, so I'm getting ahead of myself here. I started using the coping markers, and sure, you know, sure enough, it's lifting up the ink lines and stuff, and I'm beginning to freak out a little bit. I'm like, okay, that's fine. Let's, let's see what else I can do. And um, I started it, but then I figured out that, like, as I was layering Copic markers on top of each other, if I let them dry for just a little bit, I was able to come back over, and there's, like, this brush-like, texture that started showing up and it was just the pigment congealing and drying out on the polypropylene and creating this really wild brush-like texture so i was using the brush end on my copic markers and it it literally started to emulate what like what it would almost be like to paint with light acrylics or very watered down acrylics and where that would plasticize whenever you're working on any substrate with acrylics and you'd start to get some light brush marks it was doing the same thing with this and i wasn't really accustomed to that so i kind of embraced what i could of it and i really i really went in deep with the whole factor i'm like okay so contrast is going to be key here and i need to make sure that like whatever i'm working on like it's either going to be completely obliterated there's not going to be a lot of subtle intonations or anything else like that because like on bristle board or any illustration board paper whatever the the nature of Copic markers, for any of you that have never used them before, they're high end and they're great and they're quality, but they're alcohol based inks. And so the concept is, is that the very aspect of fugitivity is inherent in the way that they work. You can take anything like uh, R46 is a brilliant red that I use in a lot of my illustrations. And you can layer it across there on a bristle board and you'll get a very true to form color. And all the markers are refillable. Someday I'll end up doing a video on exactly how the whole system works. But um, for those of you that don't know, because I've actually run across some people who threw away these markers, like, oh, it ran out. There are refill kits available. As long as you keep the barrel charged and it's full of pigment, you can get a very fine non, and if you're careful, you can get a fairly streak-free 
color concept out of it, you know, for a, a wider area. And they sell them in different widths and different, uh, you know, nibs and things that you can use to fill in areas. And that's great. That's wonderful. The big challenge in this one was that it didn't matter how I approached it. It looked chunky and blocky and all of the marks that I made would either pull one another up because of the fact that the basic makeup of this is alcohol. If you're on rag board or illustration board or anything else like that, the simple fact that there is an alcohol based mixture that is the, that is not only the catalyst for getting the pigment out of the brush and onto your substrate, it's also used in the blender tool. So it's another, uh, number zero on the, on their scale is a blender. A colorless blender and it's exactly what it sounds like it's a it's basically alcohol and a felt tip pen that you can use to blend over and erase and pull out colors in some extremes and i've used it to varying effects like and success levels like on things like bristol board too when i used to work on basswood uh panels all the time but on the polypropylene it was like yeah i don't even care it's just gonna pull up here and just make this big ugly blotchy mess <laughs> And uh, so I didn't end up using any colorless blender. I just tried to use, I tried to rely on the alcohol that was in the pigment. And as I layered over, just careful to not lift up whatever pigment was underneath. That meant that I couldn't work as quickly as I normally did. And I had to be more careful where I was sticking my hand, what I was doing. I was glad that it was a smaller substrate piece that I was working on because I think it was an eight by eight sheet that I was working on. I reduced it down to about a seven by seven by giving it a border. And as I worked on it, I was able to figure out a few things and go, okay, well, I'm going to have to work from the center out and I have to be very cognizant where my hand lays and all these other things. And I was trying everything I could to get the illustration to come out, you know, fairly decent. And I think it came out okay. It's been about a week now. And so going back to what I was stating earlier, it it's interesting. There is definitely a level of adherence to the substrate, the polypropylene, the UPO paper does have a sort of adherence that is nice. Um, it's smooth. It's very smooth, but the markers and everything seem to be sticking to it. The, uh, metallic inks that I'd used for the background very much adhered. And I'm not sure. I'm not sure the wherewithal on that. I don't know if there was that much of a difference because one is more, water-based the other one is more alcohol-based i don't i don't know if there's a degradation in the polypropylene that enables one to adhere more than the other which you know would happen with any paper and I, I call it degradation but it's my way of defining exactly how much the pigments would would permeate and stick within there so you know i'm taking my fingernail i'm taking other things because i was like well if i screw this up i screw this up i can go back over it with something and um and it seems to have stayed pretty well. The first test I did was just using my, my flat of my finger and pushing it across and nothing seemed to come out. There was a little bit of pigment release, which is to be expected. Our fingers, you know, have like, you know, a texture to them, the uh, fingernail or your fingerprint. And, you know, we also have our body oil and stuff like that and, and dirt, whatever. It doesn't matter what you touch. We create an, an abrasive function whenever we go across something. And of course it's going to pick up some pigment and we tend to rehydrate it a little bit. Um, even though Copic markers can be fairly uh, permanent to a degree, they are still, so you know, they're still susceptible to things like moisture and bleeding and other mediums coming back over them and stuff. I have only ever found one product that uh, much to my remiss is 
I believe no longer manufactured. I have like two cans of it left. Um, it's PYM two. It's a, it's called protect your memories. And it was this bizarre, it's got a very weird story that, that almost involves its own, um, its own podcast thing. But in a nutshell, it is a, uh, stabilizing element. It's basically like a, a clear code you can apply, but this one works on anything from newspaper to any other sort of delicate thing from old news you know, newspapers to photographs to fine art done with things like markers that if you hit it with like, cause you know, back in school, like in college or high school to save money, be like, Oh, just hit it with Aquanet, you know, hairspray or something like that. Or you'd use some of these other ones that were clear coats for like, you know, home projects. There's a lot of them that are alcohol based. And the moment you hit your artwork, they would just begin to bleed like crazy. And so there was always a couple things you had to do. Either you ended up using, Something that was acrylic based, you know, that you could slowly dab on or maybe you just sold the artwork as is. Whatever the case was, you had to work within a certain realm of like, well, I don't want to mess this up and I don't want this to bleed to death. I have some illustrations that I've destroyed because early on I used Rust-Oleum type, you know, sealants on them. I didn't know what I was doing. As soon as I hit it, all of a sudden I come back. I'm like, oh, look, it's an impressionist painting now. That's not a knock on impressionist, but I do think they all had glaucoma. And whenever that um, thing happened, I was like, great, I got to find something. Did some research, ended up finding this stuff. It was originally used for polymer clays, but they ended up finding out that the formula works so well you could use on on practically anything. Now, I have two cans of it, and I've just been using it sparingly um, as a first coat for a lot of my works and then going back over with acrylic sealers and stuff because it protects them from them. I'm a little hesitant to use it on this UPO paper. I'm going to because I want to see if it works, but I'm pretty terrified that it's just going to pool on top and then completely wipe out Orco. Like I'm horrified that it's going to happen. So there's a part of me that's like, well, then what do I do? Do I go back over it with like an acrylic medium? Do I do something like that? This is going to be a big wide fat area of experimentation all over again. Now that this artwork is done and I didn't just stop after with the, the, uh, the Copic markers and stuff like that. I went back over with my Copic multi-liners and I, you know, I redid some of the line work that I lost. I went back over with some paint pens. So I used some Montana paint pens, white and um, yellow, I think. And then I, oh yeah. And then my Montana Chrome pen, which I finally broke out. I started using for some detailing on there, which was amazing. And that's another one that I'm like, well, what happens when I put any kind of fixative on top of it? How's that going to operate? How's that going to work? I don't know if any of you guys have ever been in this circumstance. You probably have if you're listening to this because experimentation is half the fun, right? But it is also like completely mind numbing because there's a part of me too that I'm like, well, I'm on a budget and I've only got so much that I can spend on certain things. And in the case of the PYM stuff, I don't even make it anymore. I think there's one place, one pottery place that has like a small leftover bit of stock. And I need to go online and check to see if I can find that stuff actually. Um, and they were selling it. It was now selling, I think for 36 bucks a can. When I first started buying it, I believe it was $12 a can whenever PYM2 was still owned by the original, uh, guy that invented it. And he, it was just a small operation. I don't even remember why they ended up selling it. I guess they couldn't keep up with it because in their old age, nobody else wanted to take it over. I thought it was a great company, you know, and a great concept. And, and it is a very good product. I would absolutely say that like the majority of my artwork for the last like 10 years that was covered in this stuff. And it's amazing. Um, it's so good. And I'm not even joking. I saw they had a video on their website. The website is now long since defunct, but there was a demonstration on there. So maybe the YouTube video still exists. 
they they sprayed it on both sides of an old newspaper, right? And then they had they let it dry for a few minutes. I don't even think it was that long. I think it was a minute. There's a bowl of water, and they dunked the newspaper in and bring it back out, and it was still dry. Totally dry. Completely dry. And so I tried that. Not with anything that I wanted to keep, but I got it. I got a newspaper that had been sitting around for a while had started, you know, kind of yellowing. And then I also, no, I also used it on an old newsprint uh, drawing that I did. You know how in school you get those big newsprint roll pads for figure class and stuff? So I sprayed one. And I was like, okay, this is the ultimate test because it had some graphite and some Conti crayon on it. And I spray fixed both sides of it and I put them in water. Now, I went really hardcore with it. One, the newspaper, I tore it in half. And then the the little bit of the drawing I had, I tore that in half. I sprayed them with the same amount of fixative, I, and I dunked two, one of each, into one bowl of water for just a few seconds and brought them back out, and they beaded water and everything, and they didn't get wet. Then I took two others, and I submerged them, and I pushed them down and kind of crinkled them a little and did all that other stuff and brought them back out. Now, much to my surprise, a couple of the areas where it crinkled, a few of the areas showed some moisture and some absorption of the water. But 95% of the rest of the surface was still waterproof. And that was crazy. I'm really aghast that nobody picked up that particular product. If you get a chance, check it out. You can find information about it. And if you happen to find it or anything else like that, please, where it's for sale and somebody else bought the company, leave a comment down below. I'm, I'm actually going to go check that out after I finish this podcast. I can't believe this became a podcast about PMY. PYM too. And, uh, but so now getting back to this piece of artwork, I'm kind of lost as to what to do with it <laughs> because I'm like, okay, what's the next thing I want to do? But here's the thing. So to bring this full circle and to connect this to some mental health factors that I like to discuss now, um, it made me think about a lot of things. Was it becoming a metaphor for me not wanting to take chances? Very much, I'm looking forward to NACACON and also now the Latino Arts Festival. These are two shows that are coming up in the coming months that I have, you know, I've enjoyed them in the past and I'm looking forward to being involved with them again. I know for a fact that the NACACON show will have a reduced capacity amount. Um, they This past weekend, they were releasing like 500 more tickets for attendees, but I think the cap is 3,500 people. There will also be a reduced amount of vendors. And, of course, the spacing and safety and all this other stuff they're going to be doing at the Overland Park Convention Center. Uh, with that being said, there is also the factor that, um, you know, in years past, it was, I think, the max cap they usually got to was somewhere between seven to 9,000 people that would attend the show. And there was a lot more vendors. And so there's a little reluctance on my part. Like, I'm like, oh, man. But, I mean, they gave us this opportunity and this chance to, like, do you want to do this? Do you want to roll over to 2022? But I think in my head, I was like, I don't know that I really want to skip a whole year, like, for my own mental health. Like, I really want to try and get out there and, you know, show my new booth design and get my new artwork out there in front of people and just see what the reaction is. I've always found it kind of a conundrum because sometimes you'll show off artwork online. And unless you're making a very interactive video, which, you know, is something that, to that point, I really need to start investing in doing. Um, there's not always a lot of feedback. Like you can post a picture and things like that, but I, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've had people go, "Man, this looks so much better than it does in the photography that you had on your website." Now, whether or not that's a complete smack on my own, you know, lack of photographic ability, <laughs> I don't know. 
I'm probably just terrible at taking product shots. Um, but I've had people tell me that, like when they finally see it, you know, the large size that they are 13 by 19, it's, it's a different thing. There's a lot more detail to see. They, there's little nuances and stuff. And there's something about holding the product and being able to do a sales pitch and just talk to people right in person. And I'm looking forward to that, but taking that chance again, seems to have manifested in this very artwork as I was doing it. I, I found myself with a lot more reluctance to want to complete it to do certain things and i had to keep pushing myself consistently which is an interesting connotation because i was i'll use this in a comparative factor where um i was reminded of a story uh, because of a dream i had of my grandfather uh he was the hardest working man i ever knew uh, my father would say the same thing and um when i was 12 or 13 i was in ottawa, i was in ottawa kansas at his house and he he had a garden out back, pretty good size one, not a weed in that thing. Well watered, well cultivated, well put together, beautiful. Next to it was my grandmother's flower garden. Now she had passed away some years prior, but he kept it up. They kept it going and it was gorgeous. And they shared a love of gardening, which um, by the end of this tale had embedded itself within me. And I am nowhere near the gardener he was, not even close. I should aspire to be. The point of it is, that I was bored out of my mind. I was just sitting there watching him weed out of the garden. I've been following around all day. And I think my mom, my dad, my sister, and my brother were elsewhere. And I just decided to stay there and help my grandfather. He didn't need help from me. In his 70s and 80s, a man was more mobile than I, would, than I am now. And uh, I remember sitting there complaining about how quickly, how quickly life was passing me by, you know, and everything else. How the summer's just going by so fast. I don't want to go to school and all these other things, right? And um, <clears throat> in that very moment, Without missing a beat, he was still pulling weeds out and checking his his stuff in the garden. And he never looked. He looked at me, and he spoke in a little bit of uh, in in Spanish. He used to mix Spanish with uh, the Purepeca language that he spoke a little bit. And um, and I'm paraphrasing here, but essentially he said, you know, um, life's life's not life's not passing um life's not going faster it's passing you by because you're just standing there watching it and um and that was basically all he said and i remember sitting there thinking to myself you know like goddamn and then a few minutes later i'm helping him weed the garden and i got it right then right it's like a life lesson and and i understood then that like and I could just sit here and complain about it. And I often do. There's plenty of times when I feel defeated and I feel depressed and like, or just scared of change of an unknown challenge or something right before me. Right. And this particular piece of artwork is that, you know, like, I'm like, I don't know how this is going to end up. Like what's going to happen. Well, I don't know if I never try, I'll never discover that. Will I? And that is such a weird limiting factor that I have to deal with on a daily basis. It's not easy. You know, with even with these shows coming up, I'm like, oh, I've got one show and I'm not even going to announce it yet because I have no idea if I've gotten in or not. But if I do, you'll be hearing me shouting it from the roofs. Um, and the entire time I'm going to be terrified out of my mind. I'm I'm only like not because of uh, ego or anything else like that, but I'm only like 20 percent sure that I might get in. And if I do, fantastic. Yay. But if not, OK, whatever, then I may never mention it. Actually, I will just to put that balance out there. But. So after everything happened with that and I helped him in the garden and everything else like that, 
Um, some time went by, and almost a year, year and a half later, my grandfather was gone. And then about five, six years after that, um, where his house stood, where the gardens were, where the shed was out back that he used to park his car in, and next door lived my Aunt Connie and two dog houses for her dog Bear and her little uh, Chihuahua uh, Pickles, and then the storm... Uh, the storm shelter that was in the ground. And then next to them lived another lady and her two poodles. And she had a garden out back as well. Those were the only three houses on that street. And then there was like a little industrial building at the end. That whole area is now just a big old open lot. And it was five, five, six years after he passed away, the house fell into disrepair and just, you know, everybody else passed on as well too. Everyone was old live there and uh and i realized you know that no life life doesn't go screaming by but had i been more involved had i spent more time had i done more things maybe life would seem more fuller and isn't that the case here isn't that really the point because i know that there's a lot of times and not notwithstanding situational factors like you know income or you know mental health issues or or fears or anything, those are all valid. There is nothing wrong with that. And I understand that. But I also know that that we can be our own worst enemy when it comes to limitation on things. I know I do it all the time. And I'm glad that I went through with this awkward piece of artwork on this Yupo paper. It went from, you know, just being this crazy thing that I was like, I don't know, I don't know how this is going to work out, to becoming more and more of a metaphor and then a real analogy to what I was going through in life. And what I was having to deal with, because the truth is, is that I probably could have just said, okay, I'm just going to draw on some bristle board and not worry about it. But I wanted to try something different. And it wasn't like it was really an outlier for me. It wasn't that outside of my normal wheelhouse. It was just a little shift in something. And that's enough. And I, it's the same sort of thing like this. I don't know what I'm going into with Nakacon and the reduced occupancies and the reduced amount of vendors and everything. All I can do is bring my A-game the best I possibly can. I know that I have new displays. I know that I have new artwork. I know that I have new stuff I'm going to bring to the show that I haven't before. And I'm hoping that for whatever other show I end up doing, I can bring that same level of enthusiasm and interest and self-confidence that I need. And that's a hard thing to come by for myself. I'm not the most confident person in the world. I'm also not the most outgoing person in the world. Now, I know that a lot of people are like, well, you're you certainly don't shut up in your podcast and your videos. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. <laughs> but it's easier when I'm here in my studio and I'm recording these things and I'm not having to deal with feedback directly. You know what I mean? And I think it's also a little bit easier for me to be able to open up and talk about this stuff because as I've gone through therapy, it's become easier for me to speak about a lot of this stuff. And it also hit me that maybe people need to understand and know that you know, other people go through the same sort of thing that we all have to deal with the same sort of thing. And if you look in life, there are things you're doing in life that very much stand and represent the things that you're struggling with, that you're dealing with. And it's like microcosm level versions of them, right? And the more I think about that, I'm like, there have been some things I've drawn. Like, I remember I drew one of the covers for pagan zoetrope i just i remember it was the one where um i think it's issue number four where the character mandy is on the cover and i remember i remember sitting down with the sheet i hadn't drawn anything else i, I didn't even do an underdrawing 
from what I remember, for the beginning part of it, I just kind of circ- I centered in on the center on the top part of the paper, and I drew an eye, and I just went from there. Like from the eye, it kind of went out, and then she's holding the guitar, and there's the van in the background. And she's holding a fishbowl with the characters Drew and Tefili and Ian in it, and and I don't even remember time passing. You know, I, I was so into it. I was, I went, I couldn't get the markers fast enough. I was coloring like crazy. Every once in a while, I still pull that original out and I take a look at it. And I just kind of, it boggles my mind because I'm in a different place now. I mean, I do more digital work and I haven't been really doing the physical work as much. And I realized that when I didn't do this stuff as much, I was really losing my ability and capacity to be able to express myself in those ways. And isn't that exactly what we go through on emotional states, on how we interact with people and what the problems are we deal with? And once I was able to start looking at my artwork and anything I would work on and create and do in the same facet as that stuff, that there is truly a connection. We cannot remove ourselves from that because it's all part of us. Now, there can be people that maybe are a bit more aloof or maybe they want to segregate themselves and their emotions from interactions with people, but that also leaves something of a misgiving there in how you represent yourself and who you are. And although you're, you know, one could argue that, you know, it's keeping other people safe and keeping other people at arm's distance. I get that. I totally do. But I also think to myself, we live one life. And I would like to think that even on, because everybody has their bad days. I'll give you that. But even on most days, if I'm not feeling super great about something, I don't really want to make anyone else feel terrible. I would like to think that, I can rise to the occasion and do what I can to make things good, you know, and fun and positive. Um, even if I'm not always feeling that way, because maybe, maybe if I do it enough, it'll come around and I can make it easy for myself to be able to face these things. And it's the same thing in art. It's the same thing when I build a model, when I do an illustration, when I'm sewing something, it doesn't matter what I'm doing, you know? Um, so yeah, I guess that's the big takeaway from this is just, that it, it, I know that it's obvious that whenever I create anything, even like this podcast, like it, it was, like, there was a small moment of mental therapy that came in there. Like I was like, okay, I can't really stand this Fourth of July one that I did. I just, it, it just this the the previous podcast session that I recorded here just about an hour ago. I didn't like it, and I was like, no, stupid. I sound stupid. I don't want to put that out there. So instead, I did this one, and I'm far happier with it. I felt a lot more comfortable. It doesn't feel so just off key and jilted and i'm i'm grateful for that because ooh, that last one was rough and uh i have to keep remembering that one of the one of my most favorite things i remember is uh steve bloom is probably my top favorite voice actor of all time he's just freaking amazing and uh he was uh he was somebody that i was so looking forward to and he's on my wall of people i've met he is in the he is definitely the top um, top tier for me, but I met him at NakaCon a few years ago and, uh, that was amazing, but I, I will never forget that just shortly before that. And I told him that when I met him, that the best thing I ever heard was the, that the job is the audition. When you go into the voice acting booth, you go in and you give it 100%, if not more, because that's the exact performance that they're going to judge you on. And that they expect for you to bring to the real thing. It's the exact same thing with visual art. There have been times whenever I've phoned something in. And I know damn well when I've done it. Right? Now, and, and, it, this, and this goes outside of the arts. I've had people that, 
you know, I've mentored or taught or worked with. And even like, I'll never forget, like when I was teaching for young Rembrandts, how, um, you know, that's a much more limited art focused sort of mini kind of educational factor sort of system that they do at schools. I still remember how, you know, I still wanted to bring the best and most positive experience I could for those students because some of them were doing art for the first time. Some of them had maybe family situations that didn't always allow for them to be the most expressive or be open on things. And I'd like to think that I made a difference for some of them. You know, I know I know I did for some students who drew me artwork that I still own. I have a I have a book that I'm putting together, a little personal book, nothing I'm publishing, that has all their artwork in it and, and just as a memory to, to remember those kids. I mean that was a wonderful thing. And um and because of that, like I I think I uh I think the whole point of this is that at least for myself I've been able to understand that there is so, so much that I have to keep in my head about what, um, what I truly owe myself. And that sounds like an odd way to end this, but it's true. You see, I believe that for some people, we'll do just enough to get by. But... And I can't help but think about places I've worked, companies, or even for some individuals, where I gave it my all. I put 110% in, right? And uh, that never panned out. That's not to say that I should have ever done less. It does say, why am I not doing that for myself now? What is the 110? What is the 120% I can do? While at the exact same time, still managing to keep a balance between my personal life and my work life. But that's a subject for another discussion. <laughs> uh, thanks for listening to Radio 74. I am Mario the Artisan Rogue. You can find me on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, here on Podbean. You can also find me on TikTok and on YouTube, the same username across all those platforms. Please check me out on theartisanrogue.com. That is my main website with everything. All the updates are on there. There's feeds for everything from the podcast to YouTube to anything else on there. If you want to figure out like uh, what shows I'm going to be doing, how much it costs to hire me as an illustrator or freelancer, whatever, it's all on there. You can find out everything you need to know about me for the most part <laughs> and stuff. So that's great. That's fine. That's fantastic. And, uh, wow, I feel kind of cheesy now. I feel, I feel a little weird having put that advertising out there like, come check me out. It's very odd. Yeah. Anyway, thanks for listening, guys, and I'll catch you in the next episode.